everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. If you are new to the show, welcome. And if you're returning, welcome back. Today you are listening to episode 61, and I'm talking with my good friend, Rachel Dugdale. I met Rachel at a stroller group last summer, a stroller group at Athletic Annex, and Rachel started coming this past year and has quickly become one of my good friends. Rachel has a one-year-old daughter, and she just ran her first marathon. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably saw a couple of my posts. I did a post before the race, I did a post after the race, and I also had some really great Instagram stories of her actually finishing the marathon that if you watched them, I don't know about you, but I got emotional watching them back and I was actually there to see it happen in real life. So it was a pretty cool experience. I ran her in for the last three miles. This episode, we talk about the marathon quite a bit, but we also talk about lots of other really important deep topics. We talk about her sobriety. She's been sober for 17 years. We talk about her journey to get there and what all that looked like so many years ago in her life. And we also talk about her divorce. So she's remarried now and she has a one-year-old daughter and life is great, but we go through um, some of these really hard times in her life. And I was so honored that she was willing to talk to me about this and share her story with you guys. And it's a story of hope and really the beauty of the life that she has now and being able to look back on all that she's been through and say, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe this is the life I get to live. And and I know you guys are going to enjoy hearing from her. For, before we start talking with Rachel, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, which is Now Foods. Now Foods has been a leader in the natural food industry since 1968. You can find sports nutrition, food, essential oils, supplements, all kinds of good stuff at Now Foods. I always suggest their protein powder. That's what I always use. I had a smoothie this morning after my run. You guys, I woke up at 4.30 this morning for the day. So I was up to eat. I fed him and I was like, Lindsay, get your day started. Just do it. You lay back in that bed. You're going to lose two hours and it might feel good for a minute, but you, I, I had gotten enough sleep. I went to bed at like 9.30. So I got up for the day and I worked on editing this podcast and then I went for a run and when I got back from my run, I had a smoothie with my protein powder from Now Foods. And actually, Lewis and Marshall had some too. I always make extra because my kids always want some. Oh, and I wanna tell you guys what I do put in the smoothie because I talk about it all the time. So this is what I do. So I use milk, the creamy vanilla protein powder, half a cup of blueberries, a handful of kale, a fourth a cup of pumpkin seeds, and a banana and then some ice and that's it and that's what that's what I eat after a hard workout or any long run pretty much that's my go-to and lately I've got smart and I make it pre-run so that if I'm out at the Y or something I have it waiting for me in my car in a little cooler because I want to hit that window where you know it's good to get the the good food back in you and all that good stuff so that's the smoothie I make without protein powder that I always talk about It's the creamy vanilla plant protein complex. And today was not such a hard workout, but I did do a pretty quick progression run that felt amazing. So I rewarded myself with a delicious smoothie. So you guys can go to now-to-u.com and enter the promo code ANOTHER, all caps, to save 25% off your next order. All right, you guys, this is the part of my intro where I ask you to leave me a rating and review on iTunes because it's the best way for potential new listeners to find us. So if you've been listening all these months, we've had a year now and you haven't done that yet, 
I would very much appreciate it if you would head over there, leave me a quick review, tell everybody what you're loving about the show. And then also today I am, my boys are at the Y childcare right now. I'm going to go pick them up, bring them home, eat lunch, put them down for a nap. And I'm recording my second podcast interview of the day. And that is for a bonus episode. So I'm getting on Skype with Erica Sarah. She's been on this show twice already. She actually, she was way back in the day. She was one of my first interviews. Well, not one of my first, but she was episode 14 and 15. Um, I split up her episode because we talked for so long that I made it two episodes. Um, Looking back, I don't do that anymore. If episodes go long, I just uh, throw it out there. And if you can handle an hour and a half to two hours, you can handle it. And if not, you can turn it off. But so she was episode 14 and 15. And then she also came back to episode 25 for my roundtable discussion with Erica, Laura, and Michelle. So this will be her third time on the podcast, but this time it's on my Patreon page. You guys can listen to this episode. You can get access to this episode if you support me on Patreon. And what Patreon does is it just gives listeners who are faithful, regular listeners of the show an opportunity to support the show, the production behind it. And there are multiple giving levels. You you can give as little as $3. Most people give five, whatever. It's a monthly gift. And basically like, you know, when you support NPR, you get a magazine subscription. It's just your way of supporting the show. You can go to patreon.com slash lindsayhine. This will be the fifth bonus episode. So if you do go in now, there'll be there'll be five episodes in there waiting for you in there. So every month is going to have a returning guest or me solo or me with my sister or something like that. But on top of that, Glenn is going to come in and we're going to talk about running or marriage or kids or whatever fun stuff we decide to talk about. Since he's not on Twitter anymore, he's got to have a place to air his uh, grievances. Does that make sense? Air his grievances? You know, anyway. So you can become a Patreon supporter and get access to all those bonus episodes at patreon.com slash All right, everybody, I know this conversation with Rachel is going to inspire you and encourage you, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Lindsay. How's it going? Good. We tired. (laughs) We were literally just together like two hours ago. No, not even. Yeah. Not even. No, no, two hours. Oh, has it taken that long to put them down? It's it's 2.15. Got it. Yeah. If anybody follows me on Instagram, you probably saw my post. This is Rachel, and she just ran her first marathon on Saturday. Yep. And um, let's talk about how we met. Well, uh, I was recommended by a friend of mine to attend the stroller group at the Athletic Annex, which Lindsay so generously put together, and that's actually how we met. Wait a minute. I thought you found stroller group from just, like, walking on the Monon and seeing us uh, meeting up. No, uh, Louise had recommended that I go to Stroller Group, and then also to Mops, which I saw you there, too. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought you were, because we, we pick up several women, like, just walking their kids on the Monon, and they see this massive group of strollers coming down the Monon, and they're all like, who are you guys? I have recruited people that way. You but have... I, I, I was not recruited that way. You, I feel like you always turn into, like, the person that just takes charge. Yes, by that, nature. That's yes. your nature, which is actually, as the person who, like, started Stroller Group and 
kind of leads everything, that's a really huge weight off my shoulders. <laughs> because even if I can't make it one day, because, you know, things get crazy once I had Russ and I, I missed a lot, I would always be like, well, Rachel's going to be there. Well, I, I'll take that as a compliment, but sometimes people can also get a little annoyed because I do come in and kind of just say, all right, this is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it's going down. Um, okay, so let's talk about let's talk about you. You're from Indianapolis. Born and raised. I live about 30 blocks south of where I grew up. And you have Not four siblings? Far. I am the oldest of five, which is where I get my, uh, we'll say my leadership roles. <laughs> they would probably call it bossy, though. <laughs> um, but yes, I have uh, two brothers and then two younger sisters. The not youngest sister, but the next one, who is the third, fourth to youngest, she and I run together sometimes. Is that Rose? Yeah, she's the one that was helping us, helping me at the marathon. So today at Stroller Group, when Rachel and I were running, well, first of all, let's say this. She ran her first marathon on Saturday, and it's Wednesday today, like four days later, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yes, four days later. And she already ran on Monday, too. She ran five miles on Monday. And then today, just, like, zipped out with her stroller for an easy four miles. Like, no big deal. I'm very impressed with myself as well. Uh, I am not. It's not something that I'm just like, oh, I expect this. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I feel this good. <laughs> yeah, well, and we were running today, and you, you were telling me how you've never considered yourself a runner. Yeah, so... I, I was just about to say, like, I even though I just did this race, I did not, I, I still, I think in my mind, think, oh, like, real runners run really fast, they have these really intense training schedules, they have this certain glide about their stride, that's a real runner, I'm just a pretend runner. <laughs> Except for, you've been running for how many years? <laughs> I was... I was thinking back when we talked about doing this and I started running probably just like I, I got up to like three to five miles and I, I didn't really surpass that distance for many years uh, when I was a sophomore in college. Okay. And you're 33 now, right? Yes. Yes. I was probably 19. Yeah. So you've been consistently running three to five miles, like two to three, four times a week for... 14 years but you're not a real runner no because there were <laughs> there have been some years where I I was a walker I was like an avid walker because I had dogs and mm -hmm. I didn't run and well I still have dogs and then I there were some years that I just didn't want to run yeah and I don't know why but I just didn't want to but I would say probably like 10 of the 14 I've been running but only in this past year have I been anything more than, like, eight miles. Yeah, okay, so you had your first baby, Josephine, little Josephine. She is a little bit, she turned one just a couple months ago. Yep. Right? And yep, she was born in February. Okay, she was born in February. We met in, like, June, and she was really tiny and started coming to Stroller Group, and you decided you wanted to train for the Monumental Half Marathon. I remember you asked me, you were like, yep. I think I could do the half. I'm like, of course you can do the half. <laughs> and then you did the half, and you had a great race, right? Yep. I felt really good afterwards. I, did, I probably could have run a lot faster. I didn't really even feel that tired <laughs> afterwards. But you wanted to be conservative because it was the first, your first one. 
Yes. Well, I ran the mini actually in high school. Oh. Total side note, I played soccer in high school for a couple years and I ran the mini, but I didn't train at all. And I only ran like eight miles and then had to walk the last five. So I don't even in my mind consider that real, even though I did finish. I always, in, when I was in high school, we were down in Bloomington, just an hour south of Indy, and whenever girls on any of the cross-country teams came up and ran the mini, I would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're running 13 miles. That's so crazy, because <laughs> I think the longest I had ever run in my cross-country years in high school was like 8 to 10 miles or something like that, and when I did run 10, it was like a really big deal. Um, yeah. So seeing high school kids, and I mean, I trained probably, it was probably 2009, I trained a bunch of Arsenal Tech kids to do the mini one year. So it's, yeah, I mean, and I still look back and I'm like, that's a big distance to take on for, you know, a 16-year-old or however old they are. Oh, yeah. I mean, I still think 10 miles is a long distance. Totally. It's not, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go do that in like a half an hour. It's like I got to plan my day around it. So then after the Monumental, though, when why did you decide you wanted to do Carmel, the full marathon, this spring, just last Saturday? Yeah, so uh, my husband and I had said we'd like to have more than one kid, and I love babies. I, Lindsay can attest to that. Oh my gosh, she takes I, Russell like the second she sees him. She's like, I'll take your baby for however yeah, long. Or anyone's baby right. that will give them to me. I love kids, too, but... Uh, and so I knew that I didn't want to have back-to-back babies for my sanity, but I also knew that, like, it would be good for me to have, like, a definitive point where, okay, we're not going to start trying until after this. And so I actually had looked at a couple other marathons that were earlier in the year, and then I thought, you know, April's a good time. Josephine will be, like, 14 months old, and we won't even, like, we will prevent until... Mm -hmm until I run that marathon so that I don't get like, Oh, can you know, can we start trying early or anything like that and make my husband uncomfortable? So it was really just about not trying to get pregnant too early. (laughs) I ran a marathon so that I wouldn't have another baby right away. (laughs) Well, and I like running. So it was something that I wanted to see if I could do. Into your training, you were started having some like GI issues and, and blood sugar issues. And so you yeah. had to kind of like adjust your taper. You, you really had to just adjust your last five, five weeks or so. Probably even a little bit more than that. Yeah. I, I think for me that I know how some people say they peak out kind of a couple weeks before the, their race. Mine was more like eight weeks before the race Mm -hmm. I think I ran a couple 18 mile runs and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it I mean I just thought maybe I'm just not cut out for distance running everything hurt I was going so slow I did have a lot of GI issues fortunately two Imodium now seem to do the (laughs) trick for that but I wouldn't even have known to take those had I actually I think I talked to Erica your sister about Mm -hmm. that Uh, to say that, oh, that's what people do if they have those issues. And I I also learned a valuable lesson during the actual race about eating food (laughs) (laughs) that I, I, I didn't even know to ask these questions. I just, I think of runners as like, they just go out and they run and it's beautiful for them and it's not hard and they don't have to 
take care of any of these issues because it's just easy. And I learned that that's not really true. And I can ask for some help. Yeah, I was actually like kicking myself because I thought we had talked about nutrition a, a little bit before. I mean, obviously, like I wasn't coaching you or anything like that, but we're, we're just chatting as friends, you know, about your race and yeah. everything. But then so I ran out to meet Rachel when she was finishing her race. So I, I found her at like mile 23 and yep. uh, she was walking with her sister, but she hadn't been walking the whole race. She had been running the whole race. She had, what did you walk like a mile? Yeah. I, I had to stop running at like 21 and a half. So okay. I ended up walking a mile and a half by the time we got to you and, and you were you like, saved me. I'm so hung. I, you were like, I'm so lightheaded. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I can't run. And I asked you, you know, when was the last time you ate? And she had gone through two chomp packs. So. Yeah. The, the cliff block pack. Yeah. But I had only brought two. And I actually had only gone through one until mile 21 and a half. And then my sister was like, you need to eat these because I had to sit down because I felt like I was going to fall over. And I was really frustrated because my body felt like it could have kept going. My legs weren't tired. Like I, I mean, they were tired, but they weren't exhausted. It was just like physically, I thought I might lose consciousness. <laughs> Well, if I and, kept going. And then there was a water stop with some kids. I don't know if those kids were like college kids or high school kids. I'm pretty sure they, they were high school because they were clueless. They were like jamming on. out to some good music. And I was like, hey, at first I kicked myself because I didn't have any food on me. And I'm like, what kind of person who's running people in to finish a marathon doesn't like carry food just in case? Like that would have been a smart thing for me to do. But then I was like, hey, guys, do you guys have any food over here? And they're like, oh, uh, no. And then we see all these donut boxes, and I'm like, well, what's that? And they, they say, oh, well, we have donuts. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's food. Give me a donut. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this girl needs a donut. And you woofed a yeast donut. I think it was a yeast donut. Was it yeast? No, it was a cake. Cake, it was a cake, a cake donut. donut. I remember being very grateful that it was not yeast or chocolate, because that sounded disgusting at the time. And then you were like, let's go. I'm, I'm yeah, good. I'm back. I think it took like two minutes for it to kind of settle in and then I was like okay I think I can run now it wasn't a pretty run towards the end and I'm pretty sure I was crying for at least half of it but oh my gosh that I was made it so that was I had somebody comment on my Instagram that said they some random stranger that said random stranger here I was sitting at the finish line and saw this finish and it was one of the best finishes I've ever seen which it still makes me kind of choke up now I just wasn't prepared mentally for what that kind of endurance that or what kind of physicality that would do to my body mm -hmm. I, I just I, I actually was reading a book the night before about the woman that had run her first marathon and she talked about the mental breakdown and I just wasn't prepared for that yeah I just was like I'm failing like I'm failing everyone I love like they're all here to see me and I'm not gonna make it but you did I did, which is shocking, and it makes me even more, like, emotional because everyone, I felt like everyone did it with me. It wasn't, I, I would not have finished had I just been out there by myself. And that was so sweet to see your family out on the course. Like, your dad, they were at multiple points on the course. Locations. I think my parents came to, like, five or six different places. That's some strategy right there, man. That, yeah, and uh, they knew I was going to need it later on. My dad made, like, five or six signs. Oh, like, your dad's so just, cute. He is the best. And uh, my mom, like, had Vaseline that I'd given to her and my husband, like, 
was me feeding me at different mile markers so I could put it on my legs to make sure they didn't keep chafing. And um, it was, it was amazing. And then my husband and my daughter, they met me about what, what was that? Like a hundred feet out and yes. ran into the finish with me. And my husband was awesome. I told him I needed to have like some warm clothes at the end. Cause I usually get really cold and I just sat down and was crying and he was like, here, let me help you. And was like helping me put pants on and a sweatshirt. It was so sweet. I know that picture I took of him sitting with you at the end. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the best picture ever. Yeah. He, he thought so too. And I think we're going to frame it and put it, put it in our house. And that was Although the first he, time I met your husband. That's right. That's right. Because he, uh, you, the Josephine's birthday party didn't work out. Yeah. Um, he is awesome. He's an awesome guy. And uh, it's funny because he was like, I don't understand this. Uh, everyone that I saw running did not look happy. Their faces <laughs> were not pretty. I don't know why you want to do this. I don't ever want to do this again. <laughs> he doesn't want to so, see his wife in misery again. Maybe that's it. He did joke when I was crying and he saw that I was crying. He was like, did somebody hit my wife? Like what happened? <laughs> He's, he's funny like that, though. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, he, he's got a great sense of humor. I caught that in, the, like, the ten minutes that we talked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's very witty. Very witty. So do you think so. you'll run another one? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I think the next day, I, I expected to feel really bad. Because the day of the marathon, I, I felt pretty bad. And going upstairs, especially, was really difficult. Um, but I woke up Sunday morning and actually, I mean, I've been taking Advil and I didn't feel too bad. So I even took Josephine on a walk. I mean, I'm still like in shock that you went out and ran five miles on Monday, two days later. I mean, five miles is like not a short distance. No, I mean, we didn't go fast or anything, but we were just, I mean, I don't run fast in general, but it was, we were, I went with my friend Kirsten and we were just talking about the weekend. She had gone to Chicago with her husband and her son and. I told her about the marathon, and it was just like any other run. And Kirsten is another one that we met from Stroller Group. Yep. And, and uh, she's moving. I know. She's she's awesome. She's German. Her husband is here on a work assignment, and unfortunately, she's moving back in like two weeks. Yeah, but man, so they lived in L.A. for a while. Now they've lived here for a year, and now they're moving back to Germany, and I'm just thinking what cool life experiences, you know, that they've been over here and now they're going back. And and I'm thinking, great, I have a person to visit in Hamburg. Hey, there you go. <laughs> That's perfect. That's it. And who will run with me? No and she less. would love that, too. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So let's walk back a little bit, though, because, you know, everybody, anybody who's following along on Instagram, they saw I posted the night before, like, the picture of us running together, like, I'm going to run you in. And then I, I put all these Instagram stories up and uh, I think that, I think that people seeing you finish, I think, you know, I forget cause I ran my first marathon so many years ago, how emotional that finishes, you know? And yeah. even when, I mean, I was physically there taking the damn video of you finishing, but even when I looked back and watched the story, like I started getting choked up seeing you getting choked up. Oh, it's, it's so it's like one of those things I I know you were telling me when I was running like you've given birth to a child you can do this and I I had an epidural so I still think a marathon is harder but um (laughs) don't tell that to my husband though right I know (laughs) um but uh I just unless you go through it 
it was something that I can't explain. And and then when other people that have run marathons can talk about that, I'm like, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. It's just, it's that, it, it's that whole package. It's not just the physical, but like the emotional, the mental, spiritual, whatever you want to say, like all wrapped up in it is really overwhelming. Yeah. And we did talk about that when you were running, because I was like, I don't know, what do you think is harder, this marathon or childbirth? And I think we both kind of agreed, well, childbirth until I got my epidural and that ended yeah. that. Because, yeah. yeah, when, like, contractions are coming on heavy, I remember thinking running marathons is nothing compared to this. But then the second I got my epidural, I was like, all right, never mind. Yeah, it's, I'm good. Although my labor, the epidural didn't work so well. And the pressure, I wasn't oh. prepared for the pressure. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, I feel like I've been super lucky in the epidural world. I've had no bad side effects from them and they've all like I think I've had the perfect dosage so I kind of think that um I'm spoiled in that department a little bit or maybe well, I, I just had a really good anesthesiologist I don't know there you go so, it wasn't a bad one for me but I know what you're saying yeah yes. yeah because I hear people say that like um theirs wore off or it was heavier on one side than the other and mine was just like you perfect know, even straight shot yeah Let's walk back, though, because, like, you're 33, you have a one-year-old, but lots have, has happened in your life before that. Yes. Before yes. running marathons. And I don't even know your story um, with this, but if you want to share just a little bit, I know that... When did you first tell me that you were sober? I don't know how it even got brought up. I, I think when we were talking about mops and how I was in a little bit of a weird situation because, um, I, I can talk about this part a little bit more, but the way it came up is I got sober when I was a teenager. Um, and I had this community of people who kind of like the marathon thing understood my alcoholism and what my way of thinking and all that stuff in a way that, uh, nobody else could and it was a great community and I'm still a part of it and um and that was great but that's not a place to raise your kid mm. some people may disagree with that but I personally um like the principles about um sobriety and recovery and stuff like that are great to instill in your kids but the, the but the community is really meant for other people that have alcoholism or addiction and so I had found that community, but I wanted my daughter to grow up in something as well. And so I had been looking at churches, you know, at, at, at running groups, even just people that are kind of similar minded in communities that felt like she could be a part of something. So that's why I told you I was sober. Okay. That's, <laughs> um, that's and I think we were sitting at the cafe at the Y. Yes. Yes talking about that while our kids were being watched by someone else, That's which right. was wonderful. That's yes. right. Okay. <laughs> After a run, probably. Yes. Um, and so just a little bit about that. Uh, I always laugh because uh, I feel like my story isn't probably worse than anybody else's, but I feel like a lot of the moms that I hang out with now are like, oh, you know, I was a little wild in college, <laughs> but, you know, nothing too big. And I... I'm just like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I mean, I think you're probably would be astounded to know that I've been arrested. I've had <laughs> warrants out for my arrest. I've, 
been to several treatment centers. Um, I was not a nice person at that time. I was really difficult and horrible to be around. And um, I am really grateful that I had awesome parents that actually got me to a a long-term adolescent treatment center um, that was able to get me into a recovery program that worked for me. But I... I do not deserve the life that I have today, knowing what I came from. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think about that when I run. I, I really specific, very specifically remember a time when I was in college. I, I was able to get sober in high school and go to college because before I got sober, my plan was to basically like drop out of high school and drink with my boyfriend slash supplier mm-hmm. um, <laughs> until that was it. That was the plan, you know, and, and I grew up in like, I went to Catholic schools. I, my parents are college educated. Like I was, I was going to play soccer all four years of high school. And like, my plan was really at that point in my addiction, like I wasn't going to finish high school. So to have been able to get sober and to go to college and I actually was able to study abroad and participate in the sober community abroad and I remember walking down the street in Spain one time and just being like, wow, how did I get here? Like, mm. this isn't the life I thought I was going to have. And I, I was just thinking about this and talking to another friend of mine, but I will have um, 17 years of sobriety in July. That means that I have been in recovery half my life because I got sober at 17. Wow. Which is pretty remarkable to think that if that had not have happened, so much of my life would not be this way. And yeah, where would you be right now? Well, um, you know, I always say, like, I was not a functional alcoholic. I Uh was not a functional drinker by any means. So, like, going to school was just way too hard. Like, showing up for any kind of relationship was way too difficult. Like, I would not be in a good place. I would either be dead or probably in some really dire situations. What was the breaking point that, you know, like, I feel like at that age, you know, your parents got you into a long-term treatment facility, but in some way you had to agree to do it, you know? Well, actually, when you're underage, you don't have to. <laughs> oh, they just sent, so, they said you're, you're going against your will? Yeah, but, yeah, so that, that's a story unto itself. Basically, I, I had not agreed to go to rehab, but I had agreed to go to therapy again because mm-hmm. I... I actually wasn't even living with my parents at the time that I went to rehab. I had been kicked out of their house and I was living with my aunt and uncle and I was about to like run away from their house and go live somewhere else. And they knew it. So they, my, they told my parents like, you got to do something soon because otherwise she's been beyond Mm. no one's going to know where she is. And, um, they told me that they were going to take me to, my lake house for 4th of July, which we do every year. My dad's birthday is July 5th. And I did not agree to go, but they came and physically removed me from my job. So those are the kinds of things that I like, like try to remind people that I had to be physically removed. (laughs) It wasn't like I walked out the door with them. Where Um, where were you working? I was working at a restaurant in Castleton. It mm-hmm. was super embarrassing and yeah. so inappropriate. And I'm sure everyone was like, oh, my God, this girl's, like, kicking and screaming, and they're dragging her out. Like, oh, terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they 
I thought we were going to my lake house and they ended up taking me to a long-term treatment facility in Detroit, Michigan. And I couldn't leave until I turned 18, which was like nine months away. Wow. So you were there for nine months. I was actually in that treatment center for 18 months. Wow. They opened a sister facility in Indianapolis. So I came back to Indianapolis in like, I want to say like October, I think of that year. So I was, I was only in Detroit for a couple months. But then you were um, here at this one for then another, like, 15 months? year and a half. Mm-hmm. So whenever I see or work with anybody that's like, oh, I've been in rehab for so long. I've been there for 30 days. I'm like, <laughs> whatever, people, whatever. Now, was <laughs> but that- I, I was able to go back, back to school. So I would go to the treatment center, like, in the afternoons. And um, I'd have to be under their care in the week on the weekends, but I did end up going back to school. And I actually went to my freshman year of college while I was still in rehab. So did you stay the night? Did you sleep there? It was kind of a weird program. It's not in existence anymore because I don't think it was uh, financially stable enough to do that. Um, but you, I would have to go to other people in the facilities parents house and like there were rules about like we had to sleep in like a locked room and it was pretty crazy (laughs) so when you finished were you like were you like we I graduated or what what at what point well I think I can move out and I think I can be part of the real world again yeah so so part of the program was to integrate me back so I like started going back to my parents house like probably like four months after I had been there and then I went back to school after I want to say like six months that I had been there. And then I had a hard time being integrated back into school because I went back to the same high school that I had gone to Mm -hmm. and just like staying out of sticky situations and not talking to people. And there actually ended up being a teacher that was also in recovery at the Mm -hmm. school that I was able to connect with who ended up being a really significant mentor in my life. And, And he actually passed away about I want to say like 10, it's been over 10 years ago now of cancer, but his, I'm still close with his wife. They were really awesome. And just, you know, letting me know that I wasn't alone, that they were there for me, that, that they're going to help me through this and that other people had in fact done it and it was going to be okay. So I got to go back to school and I ended up going back to college and, and like the last, you know, six months or so of the program, I was more there to help them with other people but mm-hmm. it was it was until I could be done so yeah I that's such yeah. a young age for you to kind of like go through that because I know a handful of people in recovery but I feel like when I hear people tell their story they usually don't realize or get to that point until at least their 20s you know sure sure no absolutely and I will be the first to tell you when my parents put me in that rehab, I did not want to stop drinking. That was not my plan. I simply didn't want to feel the emotional desperation that I had been feeling. And I fought it for a while. Like, I was like, I don't need to be here. I'm not smoking crack. I'm not like you people. Mm-hmm. I, was such a br- I was such a brat. Because alcohol, <laughs> um, alcohol was your thing, right? primarily yeah, yeah. I, now looking back you know if my friends had been doing more drugs I'm sure I would have been too but that was just the circumstances that I was in at the time and then I just kind of gotten enough pain because what I was able to see when I was in rehab was that alcohol was my solution mm. like it turned off all the craziness in my head enough for me to like kind of be okay 
like I had had all of that way before I ever started drinking. So when I finally was willing to do some recommendations and like really get into a recovery program and work a 12 step based, uh, program, I started to get some relief from that. And so I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe I do have this problem and maybe I'm just going to be willing enough to do what they say and then I'll just see how I feel about it in like six months right and then my life just kept getting better for the most part I have some I'm sure I have some hiccups that I could share with you as well but it just kept getting better and I was like well why would I not want to live this way it's so much better than the way that I used to live even before I started drinking Mm. how old were you when you had your first drink or when you how old were you when you were like getting into the thick of it like this is problematic well, so I've had my I had my first drink well before I probably ever remember. I I have a alcoholism on both sides of my family, mm. and um, it's I come from a large Catholic family, and it's not it's not even like frowned upon. It's like accepted to like give your kids like some oh, sips of your beer sure. or your champagne. Or I remember getting margaritas when we were probably like ten. You know, I don't. I don't, I mean, we, I had to share them with my cousins. It wasn't like I got my own margarita, but, um, there was always alcohol around basically. Um, but I remember my very first drunk, like drunk, drunk. Um, I was like with this guy from Carmel, which is like a very posh area of (laughs) Indianapolis. And he had his mom's BMW and we went to this awesome party and I got really drunk and it was like. I am doing this again. It never was that good after that. Never, ever once was it that good. Because I was actually somebody that had a physical allergy as well. So I can count probably maybe five or six times that I didn't throw up. Mm -hmm. I was that girl. So I would throw up in your car, on your pool table, you know, all over your carpet. Like that was me. So, But every time I'd be like, this time it'll be different, right? This time it'll be different. And it never was. Never was. Man, I had a friend in high school and college who had a, a drinking problem. And looking back, I think about this and, you know, talking with you about it. Uh, when we were in college, I knew in my heart that I should not drink around her. But yet mm-hmm. we still did because we were in college and we're like, everybody's yeah. drinking and this is what we do. And we don't have a problem. So, you know, like, why does it matter if we're drinking around her? But she would end up in jail. She, you know, she would always, something scary happened on a regular basis. And looking back, I always think I should never have drank alcohol around her. If I was, you know, I hate to say if I was a true friend, I was a naive 19 year old or whatever, 21, whatever, however old we were. And I don't know if she's sober today or what, what her story is, but, um, yeah, is that, can you talk about that a little bit as someone who, sure. um, in recovery, like if you are around other people that are drinking or maybe before you went into recovery, was that a big problem if people were drinking around you, like when you were fresh out of recovery even? Well, so, so before I got into recovery, it was never a problem because I was always with them and yeah. I did not see it as a problem. Right. <laughs> um, but I was going to say on your con. Uh, you know, my situation was is that if I was around people that weren't drinking, I was like, what am I doing here? Like, mm-hmm. I was literally to find out when I went back to high school that there were people that didn't drink. Like, mm-hmm. I did not think those people existed. So, you know, on your on your end, 
if you guys weren't drinking around her, she would have just found somebody else that mm. were some mm-hmm. other people that were. It wasn't like not drinking was going to make the difference for her. Yeah. Uh, I try to remind people that alcoholism is a disease. So I have a disease. I'll just talk about me. That says, okay, I have no other tools. Drinking is a good tool. Once that obsession starts, I can't stop. Mm-hmm. So. If I'm somewhere where no one is drinking and that obsession starts, it doesn't really matter if people are drinking or not. Um, I was a little on drinking when I first got sober just because I what to do. Uh, I started to think about drinking or I didn't know how to handle that thought about it. Uh, but the longer that I've stayed sober, uh, let's just put it this way. I know we said we were going to maybe talk about this, but I've been married twice. We definitely had alcohol at both of our weddings. Okay, interesting. I Yeah. Other people, it's not a problem for them. And if I'm doing the stuff that I'm supposed to do to take care of myself on a regular basis and work my program, then I don't need, it's not a problem. I don't mm-hmm. need people to hide it from me because I just am not even thinking about it. It's mm-hmm. just not on the realm. So, but let's talk about that a little bit uh, then. What, walk, walk me through so, this. So, so, to kind of bring this full circle, running was actually something that I did after I got sober. I didn't okay. really run before then, besides playing soccer. And after I got sober, I started running and it was really a very therapeutic thing for me. I have a lot of anxiety. Um, my alcoholism can make me have some really crazy thinking. And it was a way for me to kind of get some clarity and feel like I could show up in life as a more normal person than I felt. So uh, I met a guy and he was older and kind of a bad boy. You know, he rode motorcycles and cigarettes and played in a band and probably nothing that my parents would ever have wanted for me. So of course I was like, yes, you are it for me, you know? (laughs) And, uh, I kind of ignored a lot of the signs that were like, this guy's not that stable. He doesn't care about helping people or, um, telling the truth for that matter mm-hmm. but I always just thought he he would be like that to other people but not was that special person that he was going to be like a good person too right yeah um and so we got married and six months after we got he stopped working and I found out later but he like started to have all sorts of affairs and it was just he was not interested in being in a partnership and I did not not want to be that person that had gotten sober as a teenager and you know I thought I was going to get this fairy tale life and be like almost 10 years sober and getting divorced mm. so that was a really difficult time for me and I want to say I I actually wasn't running then I, I probably look back and see that the times that I really wasn't in the spot I wasn't running because I think if I knew if I ran I wouldn't be able to stay where I was mm. I don't know how else to say it any other way. Because, like, running would have, like, given you clarity, like, what am I doing in this situation? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Um, Because I can think of another time with my husband, currently, who is a wonderful guy, um, that we were kind of having a rough, rocky time and had decided to separate simply because we just weren't sure that we wanted the same things. And I was trying to convince myself that maybe I wanted what he wanted. I didn't really want that. I wanted to get married and I wanted to have kids and he just like, wasn't sure. Um, that was this before you got, this was before you got married. This is before I got married to my current husband. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, it's another time that I couldn't, I couldn't run. And then as soon as I decided that I wasn't going to stay in that situation, I started running. <laughs> um, and, and we ended up getting back together and he, you know, said that he decided he wanted the same. So it worked out, but, um, yeah. So my husband, husband, I just, I, I left my parents. I basically gave it like one last shot and it, I was like, you don't want to be in this. And he was like, no. And, um, so I filed for divorce and my parents are really religious and they, I told them that I was filing for divorce and they literally came and moved me out Aww. that day. <laughs> so clearly they were not big fans <laughs> and my life has gotten immensely better since that situation. It was almost like I needed that to learn a lot of stuff about myself. Um, especially learning about how much I appreciate my current husband, mm-hmm. even when he drives me crazy because he's such a good man and he's so honest and so thoughtful. And even though he has issues, like he is so much more amazing than I ever thought that I could deserve. And, and we all have issues. Yeah. And, and I never would have appreciated those things had I not had that fake marriage in the beginning. How long were you married to your first husband? Uh, I was married to him for two and a half years when I filed for divorce, but it took me like a year to get divorced. And then <laughs> he wasn't playing very nice. And then we um, we were talking about this shortly after we first met. There's these like apartments in this really nice part of town oh. here in Indianapolis and in, in Meridian Kessler. And um, yeah. I'm always like, who lives in those apartments? And you said, I lived in those apartments after I got divorced. Well, or going through a divorce. And so did so many of my other friends. So basically, a friend of mine who had been going through a bad breakup moved in there like very unexpectedly, put me in touch with the landlord when I said I was going to file for divorce. And he's like, oh, yeah, I have a unit. Do you want it tomorrow? And I was like, yes, I do. So he just gave me the keys. And I don't even think I signed a lease for like two months. He was just like, oh, yeah, you can have it. It's cool. Aww. And, like, my family literally moved me in the next day, and I never went back to that house that I was at with my ex-husband. <laughs> so it was like God kind of came in and did for me what I could not do for myself. That's amazing. And so we call that the divorced, the divorced, yes. uh, young mm-hmm. divorced women, women apartment. <laughs> and my, uh, my, one of my mom's friends who was, like, 50-something was like, oh, yeah, I had a friend of mine that when she was going through her divorce, she moved into those apartments. <laughs> Because it's like a nice, safe place to live, but it's not a place where there's other apartments. It's like in between a bunch of really fancy houses. Yes. And and it's a beautiful complex. I mean, it's very old. It has radiator heat and the kitchens are atrocious because they're from like the 1930s. But um, it has the old fire escapes and um, it was great for me to live as like a single person. Just having this huge old fashioned bathtub. I used to just sit there and watch movies in my bathtub and like cry about how my life was so terrible and I had to turn 30 you know (laughs) man so someone that meets you for the first time would never in their wildest dreams imagine the ride that you've been through in the past 17 years oh and I always assume that everyone else's ride is so easy until I get to talking to them and Mm -hmm. I think okay maybe they don't have this but I can see that they have other things and it has just really encouraged me to be a more compassionate and tolerant and try to be an understanding person. Cause I feel like so many people struggle with stuff and we all feel like we have to put forward this, Oh, I'm perfect. I'm okay. I have it all together. And that's actually one of the things that I love about stroller group is like, we're all late. <laughs> Kids are throwing up on us. We have food all over. Like, I don't think I've ever shown up without a 
you know what I mean? And it, there's no judgment. Yeah. Like, we're all welcome. We all get it. It's awesome. Yeah, that's such a good group. And then I had you take that picture today of, like, I was formula feeding my baby. Another girl was formula feeding. Then two two girls were breastfeeding. And it was just like, everybody's just like, this is what I do. You know, you do yeah. you. And this and is it, me. It, and it's a no judgment zone. And we're all like, how can we help you? And um, fortunately, my experience with the running community has been the same, which has been wonderful. But you're really good at how can um, I help you with other people's kids. Like, I'm the kind of person who, like, isn't really into other people's kids very much. But you're like, oh, let me help. Let me do this. Let me do that. And I'm like, man, that is your strength and that is my weakness. Well, but you have, I mean, and then we complement each other in other ways. I, I was actually thinking before you asked me to do this, like, I have, like, a knot in my stomach still. I would, I would hate having to call people that I didn't know very well and talk for an hour on oh. a cast where it was recorded like that makes me want to throw up I just not you're so like connected and know everyone I'm I'm not I'm an introvert I like to get to know a small group of people one-on-one -on -one connection I do much better that way big groups are if I don't have a job it's very uncomfortable for me mm. oh you mean like how you kind of like take leadership roles like you need you need yeah. like, something to do so if I have a purpose even if it's literally just like picking up plates mm, at mops, mm -hmm. I feel so much more comfortable and involved because I have something that I have to do as opposed to just like sitting there and small talking mm, got it that makes me so uncomfortable yeah um I want to circle back around to the recovery part really quick and I sure. just want to ask you like if someone it has a relative or a family member that is, you know, walking in a place where they probably need to go to a treatment facility or something like what, what do you think in your experiences is a good way to behave or talk to or, or try to, you know, support that person? Well, this is a question that I get frequently and it's a very difficult question to ask and I'll tell you why very personally. So I'm the oldest of five kids and I got sober at 17. Like, I, I think my parents even said when they put me in, they didn't even think I had a, a drinking problem. They just knew I was out of control and didn't know what else to do. I have a brother who is 29 years old now, 28 or 29. And he has been arrested more time than I think us can count. Um, he's been in and out of at least four or five different rehabs. And he has no desire to stop drinking. Mm. And we've offered him a solution. We've shown him a recovery path. And it's great to make that initial approach to say, hey, if you want to get better, there are options out here. Like if anyone ever approached me and said, hey, I have someone that needs some help stop drinking. Can you talk to them? Absolutely. I'd be willing to take them to any kind of recovery meeting that they wanted to go to, um, introduce them to a community, you know, show, show them what I had done to make it work. But if they don't want to do it, there's nothing that anyone can do. Mm. That's so hard. And that's the hard part. Yeah. And so I just try to remind the family or the people that really want that person to get better. There are things for you as well that can help you that will ultimately help them because if you are able to take better care of yourself in a situation where there's alcoholism that indefinitely or that inevitably help alcoholic that they know it or not 
Um, and then a lot of times it's just prayer, which is so hard because you never really know what the answer to that is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's not like, oh, so-and-so has cancer. Like they're going to go get this treatment. Of course they want treatment. No, it's like so-and-so has alcoholism and they don't want to get treatment because they don't think it's a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a very sad situation. I've gone to a lot of funerals of uh. people who just could not get sober. My cousin's daughter actually just about two months ago just died of a heroin overdose. Like, it's like, I mean, what do you say? Yeah. How did I get it and she didn't? I don't know. Yeah, man. So, you know, you kind of said the best thing you can do is pray. And we've talked about this a little bit, too. Like, when you say that, it's like, well, what if somebody doesn't believe in God? Or, like, what if you don't even know what God you're praying? You know what I mean? I feel like... I feel sure. like when things are happening, anything sad happens in someone's life, your go-to phrase is, I'm thinking of you, you'll be in my thoughts, or if you have a belief in God, you say, I'm praying for you. And I don't know, I know that you and I have talked about this a little bit, and sometimes I feel, sometimes I feel weird even saying I'm praying for you because I have just to be completely honest out with everybody listening, I mean, I, I grew up Christian and, and I, I do believe in God, but I have doubts. And so when I say um, I'm praying for you, sometimes I feel like it it's artificial, you know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we talked about this when I was saying I was searching for a community with, with Josephine is that I found a God in recovery and that worked for me. But what I have yet to be able to do is find a God that I can understand that still merges with some kind of religion or Christian denomination, basically. So I struggle because I haven't been able to make that leap. So for me, I pray, I meditate, I believe in some kind of bigger force out there. I just, I don't, I have a hard time making that translation to what a religion says or believes or says this is the only way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to say it. But for me, I genuinely believe that there's a, a God out there that cares and wants people to be happy. Yeah. Um, I also think, though, that it's important that life happens because that's what makes us connect to other people. Mm-hmm. So if I had this perfect life, I would never be able to empathize with anybody who was struggling. Yeah. So my whenever things are happening that I'm really frustrated about or hard or difficult, I always think, okay, this is making me useful to others. So when you're praying, are you praying to God, like Jesus or? Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. Probably not. Yeah. I'm probably praying, praying to just a bigger God. However, I also pray for whatever's supposed to happen to happen, which could be, Upsetting to some people, especially when we're talking about, you know, families members struggling or children struggling or Mm -hmm. whatever. But I always just ask God to to hold them and to bless them and to be with them along their journey, whatever that is. I'm um, constantly trying to, like, read books and um, figure out, like, I'm always trying to get rid of my doubt, you know, like, Uh I want... And this is me being totally vulnerable to my listeners because this is, I feel like this is just like a kind of a scary topic to touch on. But like, I so badly want to 
believe in the Christian faith and believe in God. And I do believe in God. I don't, I can't look at this world. I can't have birthed a child. I can't have, you know, seen all the things that I've seen and not believe that somehow we were not created. And <laughs> there's not like some sort of creation here. Um, and that's not discrediting any kind of science either. I'm not, you know, I'm believing in both here. Um, sure. But when I read, I, I look into the Bible and the stories and everything, um, some, sometimes I'm just like filled with all this doubt and, um, my husband, he grew up Catholic like you and, um, he's always like, well, Lindsay, you can't take the stories, every story in the Bible. So literally like a lot of them are stories to teach you a lesson and not necessarily that they actually happened, you know, which makes it more believable to me. It does for me in some respects, and then in other respects, my logical side kicks in and says, yes, this is all great, but the way that it's interpreted in certain religions is not, I'm not cool with, mm-hmm. and then I get myself into all sorts of trouble again. <laughs> I'm really, I've been really intrigued and been listening to a lot of Rob Bell lately, and I really want to read some of his books, but... Man, this is me putting myself out there because I feel like this isn't something you share. I just I just feel like people are quiet about it and I feel like there's a lot of people that grew up with the Christian faith and could be doubting but like just man, how do you figure it out? How do you get rid of that doubt? Like I feel like my grandma for instance. I feel like she was one of those people that without a doubt in her mind, she believed that Jesus was the son of God and he saved us all for our sins and like that's how it was going to be. You know, like that's that's life. And when she died, she knew she was going to heaven. And it, I feel like death would seem so much less scary um, if I felt that way. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I do. And I mean, my parents are like that. My parents have been daily mass attenders for the last 25 years. They believe it and are fully committed and are very scared that I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I, it's part of that whole being true to myself. I I feel like believing in a God that is universal should be enough. Mm. And I have a hard time making that step. However, I still have this same urge that you do that, you know, whether it's a doubt or maybe me just being too logical or, or being prejudiced about some of the people in the religion as opposed to the religion itself uh, that I just can't seem to jive with. Like, I just don't believe it. Mm hmm. So if anybody has any good book recommendations for yeah, Rachel and I. I <laughs> absolutely, because I will bring them on because I want to get there. I just have yet to find that piece that's going to connect the puzzle for me. Well, and I, I was so, it was so refreshing to talk to you about this. We talked about this one day um, at the Y, surprise, surprise, in the cafe. And because, um, you know, you go to like a mops group or you go to like a church or whatever, and you kind of feel like everybody else there has it figured out and believes what they believe and they aren't doubtful at all, or they grew up with this, uh, upbringing of, you know, I mean, I went to church camp my whole life and all this, you know, all this. And then, um, to talk to someone else who is also attending these kind of things, but still having like struggles with doubt is very refreshing. And I'm sure that other people listening can probably, uh, relate to some of those feelings. Well, I hope so, or else it's just you and I. <laughs> if you haven't figured out, somebody come tell me. Somebody come teach me your ways. Yes. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I mean, and I didn't know that if our conversation would go this direction, but I knew we had talked about it a little bit and just, you know, with recovery and everything, I think there is a lot of talk about, uh, spirituality and, and God and, and it's a central focus. Mm. It's super important to recovery. So I had to find something that worked for me to stay sober and essentially become a happy person Mm -hmm. that I had to, or else none of recovery would have really worked. So that piece, I believe, but being able to bring that belief to the community is so difficult for Mm me. Um, And and I I think it's very similar to what you were explaining, maybe just a little, you know, a little bit different in understanding, but I'm right there with you. We're we're searching. That's what I like to think. (laughs) So we have to kind of get to our end of the podcast questions already. A. Okay. A, because we're reaching an hour, but B, because it's 3.18 and I have to pick Marshall up at 3.40. Okay. All right. Got it. I was just trying to think if there was anything else with recovery that I wanted to talk about before I, like, transitioned from, like, God to what's one thing you've never done that you want to do. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, one last question before we get to our fun question. If you, as someone who's been there, who has seen both sides of this and seen the freedom in the life you can live now... Um, if you could say something to someone who is struggling with an addiction, not necessarily to alcohol, maybe it's an eating disorder dis- addiction or, I don't know, cigarettes, whatever. Um, sure. What would your, what would you say, like, about your freedom and how that makes you feel and how, the kind of life they can live? I remember when I was first getting sober And someone said to me, if I could tell you the life that you would have, that if I could show you how happy and how beautiful and how wonderful your life would become, I would give it to you right now. And and I would, I would gladly give it to you, but that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. You have to find it on your own. And all it has to be is just like a small amount of willingness to see if it's possible. So good. Well, someone else told me that, so I can't claim claim any uh, ownership on it but you can use it I and that's what I do and I this I work with a lot of girls that are trying to get sober women you know these days mm-hmm. women and I tell them I you will not believe if you just do what's recommended and you follow the this program and the steps that have been laid out for you if you just have enough willingness to do this you will not believe what your life will look like in even six months a year you know let alone five years but you have to want to be able to do it. And now you're 17 years removed. And it feels sometimes like I don't know how this happened. I got more than I could have ever dreamed of. And I mean, if, if they had made me write out a list of things that I wanted when I first got sober, I, I would never even have known the wonderful things that I could have had that I have today. And your relationship with your parents is, is good. Amazing. It took me about... This is this is the other part is that so even though getting sober is hard and life gets better, it's not always fun. And there have been a lot of struggles that I've had. I was probably not a very good daughter for the first 10 years that I was sober. I had a really difficult relationship with my parents, with my sisters, but I kept working on it. And I kept, you know, trying to see where I was participating and acting badly and Um, and fortunately they are awesome parents and awesome siblings and they all stuck around with me through it. And I have great relationships with them today. And I, I mean, I have probably the best parents 
in the world, personally, I think. Well, <laughs> um, I only met them for five minutes, but I liked them already. Yes, they're just, they're the most wonderful, generous people. They would give anything to anyone. They would, they, they never say anything bad about anybody. They're just such kind, generous, giving people. And I think, oh my gosh, I want to be like that for my daughter. Mm-hmm. My mom is so selfless. I can't even fathom it, you know? And I, I'm like, I'm not even close to that selfless. And she just is like, oh no, I'll help whoever needs it. Taking the neighbor to get her colonoscopy, you know, <laughs> going down to see her friend whose husband's dying of cancer, watching like 800 people's dogs while they go on vacation. <laughs> like, if you need something, my mom's there, you well, know? Your mom offered to watch all three of my kids so I could run you in for the marathon. Legitimately, because she knew that I needed it. Yes. <laughs> But she also loves kids. I was like, oh, dear Lord, though, I'm not, I'm, I would, I would give her Lewis and Russell, but man, to throw Marshall into that mix, sure, I'd be like running away and he'd be like screaming after me and your mom would have to be holding him down or, (laughs) you know, just in that setting, like it would have been a nightmare. Um, Yes. I like, I did had never even met your mom, but I liked her enough to know that I didn't want to put her through that situation. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Well, thank you. Oh, man. Okay, so let's get to our end of the podcast questions. Yep. What is one thing you haven't done that you'd like to do either professionally or personally? So I have always thought that my dream job would be to run a foundation. Uh, I did a medical mission when I was... um, in my 20s, where I went with a group of doctors to Columbia, and they did reconstructive surgeries on children who needed them that were poor and couldn't afford them. And I have always felt like I was meant to do work like that, Other, whether it's in the United States or overseas. Um, I thought for a long time that I was supposed to become a doctor, and I don't know if you know that about me, but I applied to medical school twice no, to knock it in. I did not yes. know that. Um, and I did not get in and I was applying the third time and that was when I actually got divorced instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just didn't, I had to get a job and work and support myself. But, uh, I now think that maybe either going back and becoming a PA or, or even just doing like medical administration on those trips. But I feel like I'm, I'm supposed to do something like that at some point. I love that. And right now you stay home with your daughter, but you also do some part-time work as well. I do. I just do some part-time admin work for a a small consulting company uh, where I I basically run the backside of her business for her, which is great because that's, I don't want to be the front person. I want to be the back person. (laughs) Well, and for everybody listening, um, I am going to be doing my live show in September and Rachel is going to kind of help me event plan a little bit. Do and back of the back of the house uh, operations. I said I was. I told her today at Stroller Group that I I was kind of having these moments of like you know when you want to do something and you're like super excited. This is going to be awesome. But then you have these moments of like not fear. Like I'm not scared, but like you have these moments of like oh my gosh, this is going to be a lot of shit I have to do, and it kind of paralyzes you. Like it kind of like stops your plan in your footsteps foot tracks because thinking of all the things you have to do kind of like makes you nervous or stresses you out. And uh, Rachel was like, it's going to be awesome. And it like, honestly, that is such a simple thing for, for you to say, but that's what I needed to hear today to like move forward with the next step. 
And that is going to be awesome. And you've surrounded yourself with so many great people that you're, you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. That's the great part. That, that is, that is true. It's like when you're running kind of like a one, a one woman show or whatever, to have a community of people that are willing to step in and, um, just help you out, you know, your first go around or something, um, it's hard to come by good enough friends that are willing to be like, yeah, I'm going to invest a little bit of time into you or whatever, you know? Yep. Yep. But I find that those, that if I am that person, I often am attracted, attractive to those other type of people, yeah. I guess. Yeah. The best and way by the it. way, you're, you say your mom is like the most, one of the most selfless people, but like, it's very, and I'm not just like saying this to be all like mushy mushy, but it's like a very apparent and clear that you have you have taken some of those qualities from her and you, you've inherited some of those. Well, thank you. I will let her know that, but I will continue to aspire to her level of selflessness because I am not there. Just keep holding my baby when I when I appear in your presence and I will keep telling you that. I'm actually pretty sure that I held like five babies today. Oh, to- well, there were group. so many newborns. There, was like, there were like 12 babies that were under two months old today. And there was a, a clearance rack, so I would just be like, okay, I'll hold your baby, go try on some clothes. Oh, yeah. hold your baby, go try on some clothes. <laughs> yeah, there was an awesome sale today at um, Athletic Annex. Okay, well, I my next question is, if you had one message to the send of the world, what would it be? But we've kind of covered it a little bit more yeah. so talking about sobriety, but the world in general. You know... I have often felt like I have not been doing enough to help the world at large. Uh, but I have been reminded by other people in my recovery community that my, my special message to the world might just be to the recovery community that, that my purpose is to help other women to find a life that's worth living and that that can be enough that it doesn't have to be this like global life changing huge scale issue that it's just one person at a time that I just keep putting my hand out to say, yeah, I'll help you if you want to do this. That's a really, really, really good thing because it can be very overwhelming. I mean, to be completely honest, I'm sure you feel the same way. Just like thinking of all of the stupid shit I spend money on, like my $3 kombucha (laughs) <laughs> and that I'm lo- drinking right now that I'm looking at and then I sit here in my stupid big walk-in closet and I'm like there are children starving in this world and what am I doing other than like a small monthly donation like what am I doing I'm doing nothing I'm sitting in my big fancy closet you know it's mm-hmm. it's very overwhelming yep but there aren't I and Maybe this is a cop-out. I doubt it because I don't think that everyone can be a big, powerful face to some kind of movement. But I think everyone can be a small part of it. Yeah. So if I'm mindful about there are people out there that I can uniquely help because of the condition or the, the disease or whatever that I have, make myself available to them. If there are other people that I can help in other ways, like now that I'm a mom, I can experience that. Like you, you're a runner. Like you helped me immensely. I would never have even done any of this had I not been able to say, what do you think? Like, can you share your experience with me? Can you show me what you did? You think I can do it too? It's, it's the same way to help people. It's just a different context. That's a good point. That's a really good point. 
I still want to help the starving kids some more though. Me too. And I mean, <laughs> for now, our because I, I do the same thing, my monthly donation is going to have to be enough because yeah. I don't have the resources to go drop, you know, uh, or airdrop supplies right. and food to them. You know, I just am not right. in that position. Don't you wish sometimes you were just like, I don't know, you know, people like, you know, like Bill and Melinda Gates or whatever, like Melinda Gates can basically like give her life to serving people and doing just that. And yeah, she does. Wouldn't that, I know. Yeah, she does. Totally. I just actually listened to a podcast. She was on Poppy Harlow's podcast and um, her big thing is like educating women around the world. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, would that not be amazing to like have that be your life that you get to live? But then I think, well, yeah, but, like, you can figure that out for your own life, Lindsay, too. You know, like, you can't just always think, you can't just always think, well, if I was rich, I would, of course, have a foundation, and I would, of course, do this, you know? Yeah, but I think that's the same thing for me, though. I think I have this grand idea that I'm going to run this super big foundation and make this huge difference in the world, but maybe my difference is just supposed to be made in Stroller Group, and that, that scale is no less important. Yeah, it's just somebody's got to do it this place, and someone gets to be the big, like, popular public figure. That's and true. Yeah, they're meant for that. That's true. Um, okay, so my next question is: Is if you could have coffee or cocktail with anyone, who would it be? But I'm going to assume you're going to do coffee. Yes, because uh, <laughs> cocktail is not on my list anymore. <laughs> this is actually a hard one for me um, because I. I love history and I love learning about people and I love the experience of meeting new people, but I haven't really been able to put anyone on a pedestal that I thought would make me want to meet them. But what I will say is that I wish that I could have met my grandmother who just passed away this last year when she was younger because she was su- she is she was such an amazing person mm-hmm. and she would tell us stories a lot when she was older but they they didn't always make sense in the end and um my daughter is named after her and I just I wish that I could have known more about her she just was really brave and she didn't do anything really significant other than she was just an arm or a navy wife and you know moved around the world with her three kids and, you know, made sure that her nails were always done and she always looked so nice and her house was never dirty, which is like the complete opposite of my mother and I. Um, and I just, she was so funny and witty and smart. And she was like the only one of her 13 brothers and sisters that went, finished high school. And I just, I would, I would love to know her more. It's great. I know. I always think about that with my grandma too. Like when I see older pictures of her from when she was like 23 and had kids already and like she's like standing in her front yard in her heels and like a skirt and I'm like it's probably just like a random Wednesday and that's what you were wearing Uh (laughs) uh-huh you know exactly who my grandma was too I just want to know who she was back then yeah okay um what are what are a couple things you're loving right now so I've been in total love or in, infatuated with my New Balance Perfect Fit tank that you are wearing Ooh, today. Yes. I have two of them. Yes. I love them. They are my favorite. They're the best. You can wear them pregnant. You can wear them not pregnant. The only time they're not good is those like two months post-pregnancy when you look like you're about four or five months pregnant. 
Unless you wear a belly band and then well, you can suck true. it in. You could do yeah. that. Um, Mine's back so to that, fitting good and I love it. Yes, that's true. Um, the other thing that I'm loving is I listened to your podcast a couple times and got turned on to the stuff you missed in history class and have been on a, it started in like 2008 and I think I'm in 2012, nice. <laughs> like a four year binge of the stuff you missed in history class. I still need to I, try that out. I cannot get enough of it. There have only been probably like two podcasts out of who knows how many, two a week for the last four years that I didn't like. The rest of them were great. Wow, that's amazing. That was that was Sarah from Sarah Marie Designs that turned you on to that. Yes, yes. And um, and the pod, they're, they're longer now than they were in the very beginning, so I'm going through them a little bit more slowly. But they just are always interesting enough, and I, that's what I do when I run by myself as I mm-hmm. listen to them. And it has really helped me for Tuesday Night Trivia because Ooh, yes. I'm learning about the world in a different way. And a lot of stuff that has been on trivia has been covered in my podcast. And Rachel goes to Tuesday Night Trivia at Shoefly Pub Public House, right? Yes. That's actually another thing I'm loving. So that can be my third thing. It's uh, the last Tuesday of the month. And we have a little mom group that goes. So who goes? Anyone's invited. Uh, so Jennifer Ojo and I have been a staple. Okay. Uh, and then Kirsten has gone mostly, but she's so funny because she's German. She doesn't like know hardly any of the American <laughs> history, <laughs> but she's great company. So it's yeah, still she's fun. awesome. Yes. Well, and, and you asked me if I wanted to go last night, but I just I couldn't commit because I had a thing. I have a thing tonight, and then I have a thing Friday morning. And I I told you I was like I don't I think Glenn's gonna divorce me if I like take one more evening away or whatever. <laughs> Sure. Well, I actually was pushing it, I think, tonight, too, or last night, too, because my husband was like, I want to go to this thing. And I was like, okay, I'll wait for you to come home. Well, he came home, and she wasn't asleep yet. So I was like, here, you take her. And he's like, no. And I was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. Like, sorry about you, but. Yes. He I, could deal. It's I know. It's one, one Tuesday a month, but I know what you're saying. Well, yeah, like, tonight I have to be somewhere at 630, and I'm like, he's going to get home at 540. I said, be home by 545. Because then I can leave at 6. That gives us a 15-minute buffer for, like, you to come home, like, change out of your work clothes. Like, you know, two people to, like, need their diaper changed and somebody to get hurt. Like, in that 15 minutes, all those things are going to happen. Sure. (laughs) Um, Yep. And then I'm going to pull out of the driveway and forget something and have to come back in. So, like, I'm giving myself a window here. Yeah. But that being said, it's a very hectic time to try to leave because then within the next hour, hour and a half, people start needing to go to bed and it's meltdown central. Yeah. It just, there's such a science behind, um, getting through bedtime, a solo with all three of those kids. And, um, some days it's smooth and some days it's real ugly. (laughs) Well, I am looking forward to multiples, but I am uh, only with a single child right now. So you'll do see. Yeah. Hopefully You, you were born for it. I think, you know, I think some people, I think some people, honestly, and this is not a slam to myself or a slam to other moms like me, but, like, I think some people are born to be mothers and are very natural in their um, nurturing and caring for kids. And I'm the kind of person where, for instance, when Lewis had the stomach flu over Christmas, like, I was like, ew, don't throw up on me. I don't want to, I don't want to, like hold you and like I don't want to be near you because I don't want your throw up on me and I don't want (laughs) to you know where my husband is like laying with him getting thrown up on and I'm like 
I am the mother here. Like that should be me. <laughs> but I don't, I don't, you know, some, some things I'm just not. Everybody know. can have their thing. I understand that. But yes, I would be fine if she was throwing up on and me. And I think that you kind of have that nurturing personality and that nurturing thing to you. And I'm kind of like, oh, and I am lovey. I am lovey to my yeah. kids. But yeah. there are certain mothery things where I see other moms doing, like Robin, for instance. She's she's one of those people where I'm like, man, that is just her jam. And she's really good at it. You know, She is really good at it. And the part that I'm concerned about is... I just, like, want to have so much fun with my kids and, you know, obviously keep them alive and take care of them. But I'm, my husband's probably going to have to help more in the, what, the discipline. Oh, totally. Totally. (laughs) And, you know, I have found as we've gotten, um, as Marshall's gotten older and, you know, closer to five or whatever, he kind of needs that. Like, he needs Glenn to step in and be that figure because not that he shouldn't take my discipline seriously, but some something about when dad comes in and yeah. lays the law down, it's like, whoa, I better recognize, you know? Yeah. And yeah. not all kids, and I, and I talked to Marshall about this, not all kids have that privilege to have a, a father like that. So um, th- we're thankful for that, for sure. Absolutely. Well... I gotta go get him. I'm like two minutes. I know. I was, I know. I was looking at the time. Well, I have you a window. Go. I like. Okay. It gets out at three forty, but I have to be as long as I'm there by three fifty. We're good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, well, we were always waiting for our mom in the carpool line, so. <laughs> well, I. <laughs> it's fine. I um, man, I appreciate you opening it up about everything, and I know that there's going to be a lot of people that can relate to a lot of things we talked about. Well, thank you for asking me, and uh, hopefully. It was worthwhile to somebody. It was, and I'll text you later. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. See ya. Bye, Rachel. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Thank you, Rachel, for coming on and sharing your story. Before we get going, I want to thank FastSack for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. FastSack is a distance-based mobile application for runners, bikers, walkers, and travelers. It allows you to generate routes in seconds based on your selected selected distance, landmarks, geographic features, and points of interest. You guys, I interviewed the founder of this app, Amanda Brooks, on episode 43 of this podcast. So go back and check it out. And while you're at it, go over to FastSack in your app store and download the app and check it out. You can can do a 30-day free trial. I know you want to make your runs a little more interesting, so go check out FastSack. Thanks, Now Foods, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. You guys check out Now Foods, now-2-u.com. Pro code another, all caps, to save 25% off your order. You guys can follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. You can follow me on Twitter, at lindsayhine. And you can also find me on Facebook, I'll Have Another Podcast. I just recorded my fifth bonus episode for Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the show in that way, you guys can go to patreon.com slash lindsayhine. For as little as $3 a month, you can support the production of this show and get access to free bonus episodes every single month. And we're looking at two bonus episodes per month starting May. If you guys are a company or small business or you know anybody that would be interested in partnering with the show that aligns with the things that we talk about, have them send me an email, lindsay at lindsayhine. All right, you guys, have a wonderful weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.